Jack, my big musical discovery, I think, of the last year is... No, Tom, what? Bohemian Rhapsody, actually an amazing record. Uh, whoa, that's alarming me a lot. Incredible record. Mm, Tom. I decided to do it. That's truly, that's in my top five least favourite records of all time. Really? Right. This okay. So the background of this is well, I that hate Queen. Queen, Queen is my shit. So. Other big musical discovery, not that shit. I'm kind of. I'm not like. I'm not going to say I'm a fan, but I always hated Queen growing up, and I decided to do Bohemian Rhapsody and karaoke. Um, but it's not so. It's not so you've been going along for like several decades, being like. Oh, I should check out what Queen are like, and then being like, "Hey, now that I've listened to Bohemian Rhapsody, I like it." It's like you hear it all the time. Yeah, of you would know if you liked it or not, wouldn't you? Well, I definitely know that I don't clicked, like it. Something clicked when I did it for karaoke, and I was like, Ugh. "This is an incredible song." But Tommy's also so normal. That's so normal. Right? Can I say it's a it's a five and a half minute song with like all these different sections, whatever, right? You do that at karaoke, people are hooked. Like, there is not a wasted moment in that song. Do you know what's... Even the little, like, anyway, the wind ad lib at the end. Yeah, everyone I know knows the it. Words, and I was like, obviously. that is, that's some powerful fucking songwriting. Do you know what's better than that that's similar, but better? And in fact, uh, my friend and yours, Simon, uh, did it. We know at... so many Simons. No, 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 but I, I don't need to necessarily, like, name who it is. I'm right, sure okay, there's, like, right, some sure. semblance of privacy, Fair. but you do know who this is. Yes. At the Unsound Karaoke, did. Tenacious D tribute. That's, I mean, I get you. That's a good karaoke. God, song. I didn't know Simon meant, Reynolds had gone to one sound. No, not that. Song. I'm joking. Obviously, <laughs> he probably would have done. I could see him being in yeah, Tenacious D. Yeah, <laughs> lives in LA. Like, but why is it that I like that, but I don't like Bohemian Rhapsody? They're the same, exactly the same genre of song. Um, They're designed for exactly the same people. They're designed for people like Wayne sitting in his car, head banging. Do you know what I'd scene. say the modern Bohemian Rhapsody is? Sicko mode. Um, I Three think... acts, <laughs> similar length. I don't think Everyone it has knows any quite words. the same sort of cultural penetration. But sicko mode, it probably has even more. No, no. I mean, not historically. Bo but Rap like, is a cross-generational hit. I don't know. I'm sure there's dads getting down to sicko mode in, you know, I don't know where. <laughs> <laughs> After golf in the car. Um, what else is in your top three least favourite songs? For the record, um, I have a well, very strong opinion on what my least favourite song in history okay, is. Well, I've settled on this a while ago. Well, I have a... I, w- with my uh, friend and associate, Tom Frost of Crack Magazine, uh, we once started a mental blacklist of songs that we never want to hear in the club again, but we only got two songs deep in it. Okay. Number one, <laughs> I, I feel like I sort of... I could probably be like charged with treason for saying this, actually, given my um, heritage, but it's Inspector Norse. Oh, but I feel like people don't play Inspector North anymore. No, they do, and do I don't they? want to hear it ever again. Okay, Sorry. fair. Sorry. I feel like... I just don't want to hear it. I feel like if I heard that now in a club, I would spend like a full minute being like, what the hell is this song again? And then it would click <laughs> no, and I'd be didn't. like, God, I've not heard Inspector North uh, in 10 years. I, do, I, think, I think it had a really tight hold on a kind of seam of a sort of like a friendship group and, a, and a, like a house party playlist that I was part right, of for like sure. way too long and I've heard it too many times and I know people have done After like parties will ruin so, songs for you that's it yeah. it's a very like I don't know it's a bit of a dabblers dabblers yeah, tune, isn't it? I get that a bit of dabblers. but look, the other one I obviously loved it at the time the other one see this is Okay, so this is not... We're not talking about five songs I don't like here. I'm talking about songs I don't need to hear in the rave again, that we can just retire, we can put them to bed. Uh, And it is Floor Plan, Never Grow Old. 
these feel like no quite inoffensive to i just me. think i don't know what it was but there was a good like two and a half years where like two-bit djs were rolling out never grow old and i'm like no like i've heard it so so often and i think it's because i really fucking love floor plan and there's yeah. so many other great tunes and it's like can you pick another one yeah and, I and get it's you. the and it's the slight like um like easy kind of exploitativeness of using that amazing vocal and just like chucking it out there and being like yay anthemic moment and but people play it and they haven't deserved they don't deserve it you've got to build up to something like that I feel like I've there seen was Villa lot... Lobos play, play it and throw it away even and that's Villa Lobos and I, was I like, feel I like there was a you've... lot of that with So You Know which I like as a record but like there was a lot of undeserved So You Knows in yeah. DJ sets I thought last year well yeah I mean that's the kind of tune that's like it's it's so big so quickly that you kind of can't really touch it you you have to yeah. handle with care I, it, Handle with care, I agree. Right, I've been thinking, I've been multitasking here. I think I've got a pretty solid top three. Not quite a not quite a Mount Rushmore. No more in the club. No, this this is no more in history. These are big normie picks. Number three, and I don't even know who sings this song, that once I was seven years old. I have no idea who sings it. I don't even know the rest of the words. Is it I had a bad day? No, that's no. bad as well. No, I feel like what? this song gets no airplay in the UK. You can't wait if you don't know what the song is. You can't ban it. Right, any American listener, I guarantee you, Give will be like. Once right. I was seven years old. It starts once I was seven years old. It's very much like had a bad day, and then the next verse is then I was fucking eleven right. years old. Or Sorry, whatever. but you're gonna have to it's look it up. And we're such just a have monstrous. To, we're gonna have to cut back to once you've looked it up and you can tell us what it is. Look, put seven years old in your phone right now. I'm, It'll I'm come on three percent. You've heard it. It's a like monstrous American radio hit, and well, I it's guess not, it's not called Seven Years Old. Though. It might be called Seven Years Old. Go on, look it up. <sighs> All right, fine, but I'm on three percent. I, I guarantee you, every every American listener will have heard and hate this song. I'm not on the internet. We're in the basement. Okay, that's my number three. Okay, we'll come back to it. My number two is Train Hey Soul Sister. I think this is slightly influenced by me spending There's more that time other train song that could probably quite easily crack my top ten of songs that I hate as well. What's the other train song? Drops of Jupiter. I don't even know what that song is. Yeah, I mean, I'll have heard it. But you know what? I'm saying number one, in with a fucking bullet. Black Eyed Peas, I've Got a Feeling. Yeah, I hate that song. I hate that song with such a passion. And that is from... That is from an act with several claims to the top five of worst songs I've made. Yeah, actually, yeah. they're like because the, obviously um, they're like the James Cameron of like. Is it actually bad. called Lady Lumps or is that just the? the it's called My Humps. My Humps. There yeah, we yeah. go. What? Oh, the but My fuck? Humps doesn't like, have a patch on this one. What? Like, how did we allow the cultural dominance of Black Eyed Peas for like a good five six years? I mean, longer. I mean, where is the love? Is also annoying and that was like the good one yeah well no request line was a good one request line was one before where it was love that was legitimately yeah, quite good yeah okay okay but yeah um i got a feeling that is for a song that is about that... having a good night exactly it has soundtracked dead, some of the worst eyes, nights of my life dead eyes it is the song in the uber where you realize that you're like breaking up with someone and in fact you're gonna have to have a difficult conversation at home and yeah. it comes on and it's just like just the kind of like the it's just there's no joy Okay, Will, Will I am is I think is not a joyous person actually. No, I mean he's a fucking replicant. Like yeah. I'm not convinced he's been human for about fifteen years. <laughs> this is becoming a long intro. But speaking of Ubers, another mental list I have, and I don't mean mental like whoa mental. I mean like in my head at all time is like <laughs> the best songs to hear coming back from a club, slightly drunk or slightly high in, in an in Uber, taxi. like the moment where you just transcend. Okay, and I'm just telling you three words time after time. 
Ooh. That comes on in an Uber going home 4am. I am levitating That's, through the sunroof. That is magical. It's got yeah. really beautiful, like shimmery production as well. Yeah. It's just so like FM. The perfect FM intro. Radio. It's the perfect Magic FM record, yeah, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think Magic is actually a great thing to have on the car, in the taxi on the way Oh, home. honestly, it's like, it's quite a if lot NTS of... is a bit challenging in the morning, I, I switch to Magic. I like that, um, what's the name of the band? Are they called Heart that do, I want to know, I yeah. love it. That's actually a beautiful song. Great song. I like it. And also 10CC. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That I mean... Kind of, that little seam of, like, very, like... I don't know, 80s, like soft, soft rock ballad, I think has a place in the, in the car. You know, I once had an argument with Elle in an Uber and we stopped talking and then the Uber driver just put on Barry White. <laughs> and we were like, That's what I'm talking we about. were like, this is deliberate, right? And he was like, I just thought you guys needed it. No. Yeah. Hero. So good. We should introduce the guest. Yeah, we should. I've kind of forgotten who our guest is. That was a... um. I think it's actually very in the spirit of our guests uh, that we would have a digressive, long and joyous introduction talking about lists of our favourite and less favourite things because we're talking to Sorry Records on shows. (laughs) Nick Boyd and Tony G. Yes. What are we going to say about Nick and Tony? Why do we start? Where do we start? So let me me say a little bit about these two because, number one, uh, they run the label Sorry Records from New York City. And I think... One of the things that I just want to kind of tee up about them is that they, I think they have struck us as just extremely for the culture uh, people. Like Nick and Tony, uh, not only doing it because they love it, they're doing it because they like actually kind of hate how other people are doing it wrong. Which I find inspiring. And Lucas after- Graham, seven years, by the way. Lucas You will recognise the song. I don't even know who that is. No, me neither. But apart from he sings like the third worst song. I, I actually okay. would, I think I'd put it above that. I think it's worse than that train song. I'll play it to you afterwards, <laughs> you'll remember it. Anyway. Look. I don't feel like I come across it in public enough to be like, I hate it. I think it's, it's rap has been Yeah, I think it's spending, I just, it's having family in America. Like oh, yeah. that song... It's like Lewis Capaldi over here. Like the stranglehold that song has had on like yeah. normie American radio for the last like five years is. See, and maybe for me, the Todd Terrier thing is because they do play Inspector North on Norwegian radio, which I haven't had right. loads of, but it's just. I didn't think, sorry, like, I didn't think. T- it's just tipped me I over. I didn't think a of the Scandi connection. Like, no. yeah. Anyway, back to Nick and Tony. Yes. Um, you get, okay, the stats. What are the stats on Nick and Tony? What do we need to know? What else did you, did you want to intro? I mean, look. I think we're both, Sorry Records is one of our favourite record labels. They release incredible club music. And not just club music. No, sorry, they release all kinds of music. Historically, all kinds of music. Historically, but I mean, they have firmly found their place in the clubs. Mm -hmm. They also throw like great parties in New York. And they just... Great mix series. There is nothing cynical about what they do. It is so righteous. It is so about championing the right artists. It is about the community around them. It is about just adding to the history of dance music in a really righteous way. And as we find out in this episode, I mean, they know their shit when yeah. it comes to history of dance music. I mean, they're, they're we also... will never talk more about like David Mancuso on a podcast episode. Oh, I, I mean, we no, might I actually. Think we might. Yeah, we might. But... <laughs> no, and that's, that's, that's cool. It's, they are keepers of the flame of a certain new yes. history that 
I think more and more people of our generation especially are aware of now, thanks especially to the work of the the good disco professor Tim Lawrence and mm-hmm. Jem Gilbert and their podcast, Love is the Message, and all the kind of digging around, actually probably even partly through the kind of RBMA world of yeah, like yeah, digging yeah. through that history of David Mancuso, The Loft, um, clubs like uh, The Gallery with Nicciano and that. This particular New York history, which, you know, is now well documented, but certainly you know, at times in our lives, I don't think New York City has necessarily repped that stuff. And I'm not, you know, not that's not to um, take away from kind of other like American dance histories, which we're also aware of and talk about. But this this particular kind of New York focused one, which is um, very much about like the party, the community, the kind of audiophile sound system, the kind of friends and the, yeah, there's something very specific about like the loft way of looking at parties and like why you would want to play music in a room to a group of people um and i think yeah uh, us two and and them two are sort of simpatico on this matter i think yeah a hundred percent um i mean look it's just a great episode <laughs> it's a really good episode um it gets pretty juicy towards the end yeah uh i would say some great pull quotes um but you know i think everything they say and everything they are and you know they are as critical of some stuff as they are positive about others but like they really back up everything they criticize. They just know that they just know their shit. They just know their shit. And they really, like you say, they're keepers of the flame. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this episode is great. But if you haven't, if you haven't checked out the label, please yeah. do so. Right. Before we speak to Nick and Tony, a bit of housekeeping. You can follow us on No Tags Podcast and all relevant social media. You can subscribe to and support what we're doing at substack.com forward slash no tags podcast. What do they get? What do they get? Um, yeah, you get, well, I think it'd be really good for this episode, particularly you get, uh, a accompanying playlist for each show, Mm -hmm. um, which we will use here, obviously to dig into the sorry catalog, but also a lot of the stuff there, um, referencing, uh, you get bonus content, you get transcripts of the interviews and more good stuff to come that we will invent as we go along. We will, we, we will figure it out. Um, yeah, thank you to SRP Studios in Soho for letting us record. Thank you to Jennifer Walton for our theme music. Thank you to All Purpose Studio for our branding. Let's patch in Nick and Tony. So wait, did you say you both went to sustain or was that just you, Nick? Just me. Did you yeah, see the I baby? But, yeah, I did. And I'm in a Discord where like somebody got wind that a baby would be coming like weeks before. Wait, so, so you- this discourse has been just rolling um this is not for record but i keep wanting to go the baby's name is like she has a name like (laughs) (laughs) i know this because the mom was sitting in my chair i left my chair i'm the only person that sustained that cares about comfort so i drag a a chair everywhere i go just to have like a home base and sit down so a lot of like random people end up sitting in it Including the baby. Uh, somebody plugged their phone into my phone charger. <laughs> like, opened my bag and charged their phone. For anyone who perhaps isn't aware, just in case, when we say sustain, it's a festival yeah, yeah. called Sustain Release and everyone calls it Sustain. <laughs> yeah. To, to show and, that you know what it is. And this year someone brought a baby and someone that has been my baby. entire Twitter feed for like a week now. 
Yeah, I only it's a saw complicated the baby today. Topic. I, I missed the discussion, but now now I've seen that someone brought a baby. I mean, you know, babies go to all kinds of festivals, but it's just the maybe the type of festival where you wouldn't bring a baby. I've been to sustainment release. So I don't think I, I don't think babies should go to festivals. I'm yeah. quite hardline on that. I think I have a note that's like, did you see the sustain UFO? Which I saw Eris Drew tweeting. I about. had no idea. Yeah, apparently there was a UFO yeah. sighting, but you know, oh could have just been the video I saw was incredible. It was just like blackness, one little light, and then two people going like, "Do you see this?" Like obviously <laughs> on acid. Um, I mean, isn't that just ev- every UFO sighting? Like, yeah, just maybe. a random light in the sky and people being like, "Is that?" Tom, ask a yeah, real I question. Went... Real questions. Sorry. Real questions. Come on. Um, yeah, let's do it. Right. Okay. Well, like one of the one of the first times I think we properly hung out in New York, and I don't think I'm misremembering this, um, but I think we were in the nowadays smoking area, and one of you, I want to say it was Nick, was just like, "Fuck the school, fuck Europe." I'm sick of this idea that the best clubs are in that Europe. Like Nick. Yeah, right. And we have to like, <laughs> you know, the best shit's just right here in New York. And I remember that was the first time I'd been to New York in a long time, and I was like, "Wow, like these guys are really riding out for their city in a way that." I don't know, I don't want to speak for Chow, but I could not convincingly do that for London clubs. How's New York feel for you guys at the moment? I mean, that was the start of last year, so we're like a year and a half on. Is it still like a well of inspiration for you? Do you still, obviously, Tony, I know you're not there anymore, but like, is it still like the label that drives Sorry? Is it still like a massive part of what you guys do? I'd say so. That being said, like my prescription of the last year is that I think everything across the board in dance music has gotten progressively worse just because the machine is back. Like the best partying I had, the best music I heard um, post pandemic in a club was when we couldn't book people outside of America. I'm just like very, it's, it's, it's New York. I'm New York centric, but I'm also just American centric. I, I, this is American music, you know? And, and like, I, in a lot of respects, the stuff I like, I like house music. I like, that garage spectrum, you know, through club music. And I think that the representation of that style, that sensibility of dance music that I find so foundational is like, un- you just can't find it in in the way you can find it on the East Coast specifically in, in America. Um, but the Midwest, like uh, the last, you know, two years for me has been getting out of New York and finding inspiration elsewhere. So Tony and I both were like absolutely rocked by our experiences in Detroit for Return to the Source and as well as Honcho and get going to Hot Mass in Pittsburgh. Um, looking forward to the label in the next year, you know, starting with Eleanor, like we've branched out outside of America. We're, I think our first record back from this like little hiatus we're taking is probably going to be Seimei, the guy who founded Trekkie Tracks. From oh, Japan. okay. Yeah. And with Car Painter and and um then J- and then Jay Ling is on it. Um, so we're we're not uh, you know focused entirely on New York or America, but just personal biases like are just inherent, and like that is my bias. Um, but yeah, I've also kind of not really danced uh, internationally that much. I've never been to Berlin. Yeah, for me, I would say that like the last couple of years, and ultimately resulting in me moving to Chicago has been a bit of a like a realization that New York is certainly the best dance music environment in America like the most clubs the you know 
but it was also kind of realizing that like just in general clubbing in cities is kind of difficult sometimes and like going to Detroit for for movement weekend and going to honcho camp out and kind of like realizing that people in smaller scenes are doing really cool shit too and uh yeah realizing that it's more about kind of like the network of like queer underground mostly american music uh that we're in versus just like just new york but new york will always be like where sorry records lives i think i mean even if i'm not physically there i'm still like super you know connected there and like feel like adjacent to it um but it's also been cool i think for both of us to realize that like it, it doesn't have to be about like geography it's about like i don't know kind of like unifying people with a common purpose i don't know which is what dance mm-hmm. music is versus just like a city also the touring djs if you're if you're like i'm sure there's great djs all over but like i'm not seeing them because like to become a touring dj and have enough clout and money to come to new york like you're probably like a pretty business oriented person, you know, and that's just like not really like my favorite DJ in the world. Like it's not his day job, Carlos Souffrant. Like his day job is doing cheese mongering, you know. Like the 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 um the best people I think are are always you know in their own DIY scene somewhere, and that's why I really like Honcho Camp out rocked me so much is because their booking is 1000%. Like you don't care who they book. You'll show up and you'll find people that you absolutely love who are playing for the first time outside of their own local space. Um, and that the American DIY underground is like, it's so wild connected. Like, like I've seen beige like four or five times, like going to hang out, talk like in the last like two months, we don't live in the same town. They live in Detroit. Um, but the the network is pretty strong. Like same with like all of, me and Tony have a lot of mutual friends from Seattle, just through going to these things. And like I just had sustained this last weekend. There's like 30 people from Seattle there because uh, you know live and and uh, I'm forgetting some other people from the scene got booked and and um, I I just really appreciate that that like Tony said the network. Our focus is on the network. Yeah. We're trying to make music for said network. Yeah, my my limited travels in the US uh, for clubbing related things have have definitely given me this impression that, you know, dance music in America remains basically like an outsider niche interest. You know, it attracts like DIY people, weirdos, eccentrics, uh, eccentrics, sorry. Um, Yeah, weirdos, eccentrics, kind of uh, just like, I mean, obviously queer communities, it's obviously never had its huge like mainstream cultural moment like it has in you know the UK, the Netherlands, etc. And I've I've kind of been getting my head around this idea of like you say the network, this thing of like well every city has maybe twenty to thirty people who turn up to every show, and because those people create something in their city, then touring DJs, well not touring DJs, but DJs can come and visit. And you have like a, a a kind of mutual aid network more than a kind of industry almost. And it's just like functional, but no one's making any money out of it, which is just so totally different to how things work in Europe. But yeah, it kind of just sounds like you're kind of tapping into a bit of that maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And and I've 
come to value that network way more mm -hmm. than exposure or money. As far as the way we run the record label, like I made a decision like in the last year that I just don't think we're going to work with anyone that we don't know. And, and that doesn't mean I'm only going to work with people I already know. Like if, if, if people send me music and I really like it, I'll just go, when are you in New York next, you know, or where are you going to be? Like, just we'll find some time where we're both going to cross paths and we'll hang out. And I, and I, and it just, because at the end of the day, like what we do is like, not, we're not a business. We're like a, a essentially just like a creative community full of collaboration. And like, I think it works best when you're all on the same page. Um, and, and also like people, people like rule everyone's so sweet and like has their own um, lived experience. And, and, and we're all united by this, like rather amorphous thing. Like there is no classic in my mind, true classics in dance music at this point. Like, you can be a raver and be raving for five years. And like, if you don't know like X or Y disco house techno classic, like it's fine. Probably no other ones. They're probably other classics to you. So I think it's a, uh, I think everyone's making each other stronger by relying on a network and not just going like, you know, nobody understands like dance music. Like I do. It's like, we're all helping each other and sharing. That's why I like, I love how nerdy the scene has gotten in New York um trackless sharing is like a huge thing which like i have pushed for so hard and uh yeah these like youtube collaborative youtube playlists post festivals like give it to me i love it um well actually, I, I i kind of have this theory which is maybe slightly half-baked but i think there is something in it about what you guys are talking about with the network in terms of you know or this idea of a network in terms of specific north american cities and why i think it's such a struggle to make a similar thing happen in the UK and Europe. And I think a big part of that is because there is such a tried and tested pipeline between being a popping artist from London or Berlin or whatever, and just going straight onto that festival circuit within a year. And I think, I don't think that's good for people's music, like good on them, they're making money, but I don't think it's good for people's music. I don't think it's good for them as artists. And I don't think it's good for scenes. I think in fact, it really negatively impact scenes when the minute someone starts to pop they just suddenly get on this european festival treadmill whereas yeah in my limited experience Absolutely. of going to festivals in in north america and i obviously don't mean sustained release or honcho here i mean you know for instance i went to crossed festival last year and 70 percent, maybe even what's eight... crossed festival crossed festival you know what is I mean? a no clue what that is it's in san diego it's Ooh. twice cool. a year they do it well you say cool but i kind of had like a panic attack there because I was just looking at the festival bill and I was is like, "Is it EDM? No, it's like I'm trying to think of the book last year. It would have been like Fred again, VTSS, okay, Romy, Jamie XX. Is Jaguar, this the one that that's Golden yeah, Voice? Yeah, so it's it's Golden Voice's right. hipster dance festival. I mean, that makes total Coast sense, year. right? But it was like yeah. genuinely. Yeah. This is what we are up against, and not EDM. EDM is not the enemy in my mind. Like what we are up against is Fred again, Jamie XX, XL recordings, um, Ninja Tune, like this corporatization of the aesthetic and the, the the selling of the underground aesthetic. Because like the underground was just getting over this BS, you know. Like we've just like finally shook shook in the like everyone pretending to like act what they think experimental or underground looks like. Um, and I think that 
yeah, it's that's where I get scared. Fredigan scared the shit out of me. Still does. The really crazy thing about Cross that really like stuck with me though is I I think over eighty percent of the lineup was not from North America. Like there were people from Australia, Europe, the UK, but there were so few actual American acts on that lineup. Yeah, I'm and looking like, at it, it looks white as fuck it's crazy, as well. right? And I remember yeah, being yeah. there, and like this is no disrespect to anyone that was playing, but I was watching people play, and I was like. You definitely don't have fans in San Diego. There is no reason apart from like whatever, like a Golden Voice, you know, association or or whatever to like book some of the people on that lineup over an ASMO or whoever, right? Who actually probably get more people through the door. But it was just insane to me that this festival can take place in a major North American city and like they just don't book anyone for America. It was crazy to me. But I guess there's a virtue is the wrong word, but like, I guess there is a slight positive in the sense that, like, you can just see that stuff as pure opposition. Like, there's not a, oh, if I have a couple of popping releases on whatever, House of Alter, I can be on that festival circuit because you just can't the same way you can in Europe. Mm. And I think, you know, that's not necessarily great for people's pockets, but it's definitely good for music and Mm. this idea of the network, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of insane sometimes to be, like, pretty caught up in the underground and, like, feel like it's a pretty big thing and everybody's on the same page and then you see like the mainstream thing going on in just a completely complete vacuum that's just like and still just like chugging away and just like completely like doing kind of the same things as you but just completely divorced from your values and like it's just it can kind of drive you crazy but also it's like good and totally fine because it's just like don't think about it at all and just kind of like Mm -hmm. I don't know, like completely uninterested in that for the most part. But it's also like sometimes you have to like rush up against those mechanisms a little bit. Um, and it's it's weird, but we'll take it. Like I'd so much rather be in the underground and going to shows with like 20 people and that like and seeing great DJs, which is not always the case. I mean, sometimes there's underground parties that are, you know, more often than not, like, packed. And, like, I don't know, I think in, even, especially in New York, like... Ace uh, MoMA played Circo Loco. Like, shit has changed. But in general, I think that the opportunity sharing amongst our generation, like, the sharing of platforms, down to, like, I won't mention the artist by name, but, like, I know a DJ collective that literally, just when they popped off, added a third friend just to give that person more opportunities. Like, and now, and they're allowed to use the same name. They're all, Like, that stuff is cool. Like, that's way different than the 50-odd white people from the generation just five years older than us who blew up and never, you know, only brought along one friend, maybe. Like, didn't start record labels, just took the booking. So I was thinking about when I first went to New York, which was a very long time ago. Um, it was a very, very different place for dance music. Um, it was before it was before Output had even opened. Uh, we went in September and there was nothing on, honestly. Like we looked through timeout and we ended up going to what I now believe might have been that place called Le Ban, which was like a rooftop in meatpacking. 
And it was quite glitzy. Mm -hmm. And of all the things, the one thing that we were like, well, that seems like it would be a good night out. It was um, London's very own Horsemeat Disco (laughs) playing. So we'd gone all the way to New York (laughs) and we're like, why are we listening to disco, which is from here, (laughs) played by some like South London DJs. But it was it was bad. Like there just wasn't dance music, um, to be honest. And then as I've gone back over the years, it's it's changed quite a lot. I I kind of wanted to know, I mean, uh, Tony, you just kind of mentioned, but I want to know a bit about where you two kind of enter New York nightlife and what particular nights and scenes are your launch pads because I think it's it's important to recognise that the New York scene of today is is pretty different even to, I think, maybe six or seven years ago. We both moved to New York in 2011 to go to college. Uh, We both went to NYU and we met there. And like uh, Nick and I were both, I don't know, I can kind of speak on both of us. We were both like really into like indie and like rap and stuff and like a little into into dance music. But like for me, it was like around graduating in 2015. I, I think it was like 2016, 2017 where I started to really get the bug and kind of just like I was making music for a long time. I was like trying to figure out what kind of music I wanted to make. I was in like a rock band. I was trying to make rap beats. I was, and it was, it was fun. And I was always like, music was a huge focus for me. But then um, at some point I just, it all kind of clicked in and like, I got into dance music and started going out. And then I started to make like house tracks and it just was like, oh, this is what I've been trying to do the whole time. This is like the music I wanted to make. And like, we had a couple of friends who just like, I don't know, got, got us in the right direction too. And then kind of like together uh, both, kind of just started to get into it together but yeah for me it was like 2017 uh going to like you know just like going to bossa go to bossa nova civic club on the weekends going to um like half moon parties i think half moon radio was like a huge kind of moment in new york so me and tony used to live together and then i moved in with my girlfriend after college and i wanted an excuse to like keep hanging out and talking about music like we always would so we started doing like a mixed cloud thing um where we would dj like on like a little tractor controller and uh we had been like we moved it to a couple like indie radio stations we were on something called (laughs) k-piss as fm for a while the golden drop, the golden, I think they called the golden, it. Or... The golden stream. <laughs> Holy shit. They had a giant paper mache piss drop outside yeah, of it. Yeah. And uh then we and then surf, I, I had seen him posting about starting that. So we had we it we I met him in at Hollow in the basement. And like it was the same day I met with Malik Hendricks for the first time. But like uh that's how we got into that. Me personally, I'd been the reason why I did Best Deli Radio, the mixed cloud show in the first place, was that I was you know, getting into dance music via I read uh, Tim Lawrence Love mm-hmm. Saves the Day um, because I had gotten into Paradise Garage playlist via our friend Harrison. Um, we would just like do acid and listen to like loft playlists nice. and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, reading that book really tuned me into like, what the yeah. fuck is this? I need to find these parties. And Nikki Ciano was a DJ who was mentioned in that book a bunch. He started the club, the gallery in the 70s when he was in high school and like was the first DJ at the Studio 54. He got fired for being on heroin. Like he's like an absolute 
disco led one of the first people to dj with three decks so he he was he returned to music after tim lawrence's book you know essentially turned folk history into written history and there was a renewed resurgence and in interest in everything downtown disco that's where you get your like autica arthur russell revival that all kind of comes out of this energy from the late 90s early 2000s in new york so i was going to these parties with a lot of like elderly people <laughs> and listening to like aretha franklin at like 4 a.m with nikki who's one of my favorite djs of all time if you ever have a chance to see him but uh that party and then the real party that you know signed my soul to the devil of like queer Amer american techno for the rest of my life is wrecked and run like hell like the best dj in the world still like uh and somebody who i think is you know, changed a lot of lives in, on the ground in New York. You hear it, but it's just now starting to go outside of New York. And I'm so happy. We were living together and this was probably like the end of college. So like 2014, 2015, Nick and I lived together and I had a project called Harmony House. that was like, uh, that record's up. That was our first out, maybe the first official, sorry, records LP. I don't know. Yep. Or maybe, um, first release. Me, me and my friend, No Angle, uh, we were making rock indie rock um still a record i'm proud of i love that record animal uh, collective and, kind of vibes yeah me me and noah made this record and i was like living with nick and i was like what are we gonna do with what are we gonna do with this record and nick was like let me you know nick was always had had the right he was like the perfect person to run a label i feel like just like has the right he's got the chutzpah you know um <laughs> and the interest and like that kind of brain for like yeah for for being the one to like care enough about yeah pack it he was just like let me help you let's put this out let's do a label and i was like all right whatever sure <laughs> and i obviously didn't think anything of it and then uh yeah we we put that out and then we just kept you know nick had a lot of friends we we had a lot of friends who were making music but for for a long time i wasn't really involved in the label i was more of like an artist on the label and then uh as we both got into dance music we already had a label going that we just like stuck to but no it was weird it was like lacking a real identity for sure yeah i mean uh, the, the concept of the label was like we do everything it was just kind <laughs> of based off like the shuffle ipod kind of impact which very much like worked for me i was like a very uh you know like diverse music listener um yeah and uh but but it, it, it we needed a perp like frankly the label uh, my number one tip for running a label is don't stop. Like it just like just not stopping, I think, gave us a lot of like lessons. Um, but I actually was working with a couple people that weren't Tony, um, our friends Karina and Aaliyah. Aaliyah, who's like a PM at Secretly now. Um, but like, yeah, like, it be, you know, we were putting out some indie rock and stuff. And I kind of was like, hey, guys, like, I'm sorry. I I, I want to do all dance music now because I, I understood Frankly, it was going to enter and sustain for the first time and being like, this is the best musical environment I've ever been in. This music kind of sucks. It's not what dance music is because I've been to the disco parties and I understood that I'd read the books. I understood that these are curational genres. They're curatorial genres made up of many different parts. That's literally the definition of house music and techno. Like that's what uh, Frankie and Ron were doing, and that's what fuck him, but Derek May, like that's why like techno exists because a dude played a bunch of different genres. So I thought this, you know, we put out everything approach, 
like has a purpose now it's like we put out everything that makes sense on a dance floor because good parties have all types of music being played um and also i knew a bunch of people from disparate scenes that didn't know each other and uh i thought there was like a social purpose to it too so that's when i think sorry records like truly um kind of came to form it didn't feel real like as a thing outside of our 40 person friend group for at least four years like a very long time it felt real to us like we threw parties for the same 40 people and they loved our parties like we had a great time i think we had a really nice little incubator of just Mm -hmm. people who weren't they didn't care what the music we were putting out they were there to support us they were our friends and we were throwing basement parties backyard parties djing when we didn't know how to dj something i think a lot about and I, i guess in relation to sorry we're talking i'm talking specifically about sorry now or in the last couple of years than you know the early days um, but something I think about like pretty constantly with local action is where the label fits in like a wider contemporary club context. Like who do we sit alongside? Who are our actual contemporaries? Like where do the records actually sit? Um, and I guess depending on like the time period or like club trends of the moment, there are points where it feels like there's stuff that sits nicely alongside what we do. And there's other times where it feels like we're kind of siloed off doing our own thing. Do you guys have those same kind of conversations and thoughts and discussions about Sorry? It's my internal monologue. Like, <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I, I, yeah. And that's part of the reason why I don't want to work with people I don't mm. know. Because at the end of the day, I think that this is, it's much bigger. The function and value of a record label is much bigger than um, sharing good music. You know, like there's tons of good music. Um, and I think that the support that a record label can lend to an artist is really valuable. If I didn't believe that I wouldn't do this work. So yeah, that that's, I, I was like kind of stoned the other day and was talking to, um, I think Aaron J and, um, Alici and, and they're talking about like New York record labels. And they were like, what other record labels like are there? Do you guys feel like you like have any competition? And I was like, no, cause like nobody does the concept that we do. Every the like record labels are still pretty like in New York, you know. Obviously, like I view re- labels like Local Action, I, we'd be lucky to be y'all's peer. Um, but I think that we have a similar approach. Yeah, definitely. For the record as well, like I absolutely, I made a pledge about four years ago to not work with people I don't know. Like same thing, and that can be like Smart. it can be. I can have a phone call with them and get to know them online. Like I don't need to have hung out yeah. with them, but like any time, and it is rare, but any time we done these kind of one and done records that feel quite transactional and i've never quite vibed with the person i've regretted it Mm -hmm. yeah you we want to be friends with people like we because like no nothing's better than like growing alongside other artists um and we've had the ability to do that with a couple people and i think that when people associate artists with our organization like that's the biggest compliment Mm -hmm. i can get um and because like we don't sign people we don't work past one pro usually we you know people bring a project to us and we work that project but i'd like to think that like at our best when like (laughs) my life is stable and i have the energy and like we're all everything goes well um we're able to you know do a little bit more for people than um other labels around us um and you know the goal is always to be you know, part of a community. I don't want to make my own and I don't want to be on an island. 
there are obviously quite a few uh, Sorry Records releases at this point. Um, might be useful to just hear from both of you if there are any any particular releases in the catalogue that kind of stand out for you as as important to you that we could delve into. I don't want to say one of you my own records. One of yeah, you can say one of your Go for it, Tony. I, mean, I, I will acid, if you don't. Acid Tony, the first... The first uh, it was when was that 2018 probably 2017 i think 2017 like that, that that's a watershed moment for us yeah for that was kind of the one where that was my first like i put out one like house track before that but that was my first like kind of like techno record we put out and that was the one that you know we just like sent around we kind of like for the first time like sent out dj promos to just like everybody we wow. were paying attention to in new york and beyond that and that was the first record that like ace moma and moma ready and like d digs and like the half moon folks like the like the the djs that we loved in new york like started to play like i went to bossa and heard wyatt moma ready play a track from that without him knowing i was there and i went up to him i was like oh my god thank you so much and like I heard tracks from that played all around you. And it was like insane and crazy. That was like, yeah. I cried it nowadays. Like yeah, he, yeah. he digs played it. And I was just like, I can't not chase this feeling. And it really yeah. uh, impacted it. Uh, it was like, we're not just interested in dance music. Like, I want to be doing parties. I want to be all in. Um, and also post going to sustain. I was like, I want to make all this better you know, if I can musically and push it, you know, more into the, the whole holistic direction. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I'd then what, other, okay, what other records? Yeah. Go. Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, there's two vocal records that we put out um, last year, the year before uh, the Josa push it um, with uh, the X coast and unique remixes and um, uh, two VIPs. And like, I, that that's a concept record that I've been working on working towards uh, as well as the community theater, the freestyle record we put out. Um, I've been wanting to do a mega mix uh, return major label remixes um, are like my, one of my primary interests in dance music. And I wanted to bring back that sensibility. And we were so lucky to have two like incredible projects from su such incredible artists. Um, those two, I, I think of as like, if, like uh, yeah years years of thought and work you know perfectly leading to um to those two another r record i think that is really in integral for me to the label is drummies debut ep anger start um drummies like our oldest music friend and that is literally a decade a decade of us being like let's do a record but he's such a perfectionist and he wanted to make something for for us and our friendship and sensibility that we shared so he gave us like this crazy fucked up record that every track is a different genre but it's all so jesse and like um he's just one of our favorite people in the world i think like uh if there's a third sorry record you know rep like jesse is 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 really close close there he's he's a wonderful person just wanted to dig a little bit into uh acid tony and where that might lead us because um well maybe we were thinking a bit about your artwork as well and just the general state of you know chemical vibration of clubbing these days do you take as much acid as your aesthetic implies or is that more of a <laughs> just like a an overlay visually 
uh probably not like i love acid great drug favorite drug but i'm not i mean i would say uh i'm as far as ravers go the ravers i know i'm a relatively light drug user but that's you know it's because it's a pretty wide spectrum um (laughs) but you know i get down uh but actually predated dance music yeah Mm. true so so are people is it is it typical right now for people to be doing acid in a new york club is that like a prevalent mood would you say wow there's some serious nodding face going up. never in yeah. uh, the, the whole time like i've been in dance music acid has been a part of it so much so that it's not like it's never a moment like ketamine has been having its moment for like mm-hmm. five years people have been doing so much k forever in new york forever look at like look at look go back to party monster like Michael Alec, like that movie has like a whole bit where they explain ketamine to you because it's so integral to that story, which was the story of clubbing in New York in that era. Yeah. But yeah, acid is um I found that acid tends to be the favorite drug of like the most nerdy people in terms of music, um, as well as like a really good thing for like poor American ravers. Yeah, like so fucking five like the eight best dollars. value drug there is, like per minute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I feel a little bit like weird talking about this publicly. Like I'm a huge stoner. I never talk or tweeted about weed until like the last year. Uh, but like I'm fucking 30 years old. I think we can just be honest. Like responsibly using drugs um, in a musical context is like undeniably a huge um, part of like why um, I work in music now and what I do. Like I've had like um, listening to um, Bobby Orlando production Passion by the Flirts on acid like 10 years ago is like I had the realization that I would be a dance music person for the rest of my life um and eat before that like stone roses I am the resurrection at the end of a trip like really <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> yeah and uh I think that all that all that stuff is um it's really nice to I've had a I've had a moment again with the drug after not doing it for a while um in the last year going to the loft and taking like grateful dead acid that our friend gives us yeah and just i mean there's no it's like how no way back is a 12-hour party based what, around the flow of acid what is, sorry is this yeah, like the, archival like like owsley acid from the day or something like no, what is the what is the, what's it called it's, the fish acid. it's not it's not the grateful dead acid. oh yeah it's, it's acid. no no but it's yeah. grateful dead first like the Probably, guy yeah yeah he told me the story about it. it it's called like i think he called it orange sunshine or something orange like sunshine that. very lovely it's really we have friends who acid. claim there is no such thing in like all acid if it's pure is just acid i mean this stuff i don't know the loft in general is been a huge influence for me i didn't go for many years i would just listen to the music of my friends and then when i finally went uh it was it shocked me how um alive it was and mm-hmm. i've gone um a couple times in the last year including once me and tony went and we just it, it's really hard to explain how life-affirming um there are, that ritual is. there are three beautiful, beautiful. Oh, probably slightly more in a way but there are definitely three like semi-official loft parties here right so there's the one that colleen murphy does called lucky cloud and then there's a, yeah. another kind of offshoot called beauty and the beat which is they're all like loosely connected to tim lawrence and the kind of mancuso's legacy thing mm-hmm. but lucky cloud is yeah it's just completely different there's like a vegan indian buffet and <laughs> balloons and children yeah. and stuff and they yeah yeah, the, yeah but the records just sound so good and people are just listening to them together in such a different way it's completely different different setup totally 
Yeah, I cried yeah. the first time I went to the loft because of the food. Like, they serve a mixture of Italian comfort food, um, Chinese takeout, and soul food. Oh. And I'm from the South, and they had fried okra, which is like my ratatouille. And <laughs> that I just, made you cry. It was too much. <laughs> yeah, it was too much. I went to the party last time where they had everything in one room. And it's just like, I mean, when you're on acid, you need to eat food, like about five hours in. And, that, and that, that's why they have food. Mm. <laughs> like, it, it, it's Imagine. all built around. It, it, this party and dance music culture as a whole, as we know it, started because a guy was trying to make tapes for him and his friends to do acid mm. to. That's what Mancuso started as. That's why the mixing is no mixing. Um, and uh, I think that the it feels it feels uh i don't know i'm not a i'm not a religious person but i do think that i feel as if i'm in this huge river of history of the of dance music and that's oh man yeah i feel that at my yeah. best when when i feel that and i've and yeah. um i've i've not found that at a lot of young people events and that's part of my big goal is to try to like unify and unite um they played give it up turn it loose by james brown it felt and... like james brown was there in the room like it felt like they had been <laughs> it felt like they were like storing james brown soul in that room and they it like um, full it was crazy it, the system there so sounds crazy. like a fucking concert and i i like I forgot to mention in my kind of dance music entry journey um, before I got into disco, I took a class on James Brown at the very end of my college education um, that like it's just changed my life. Like he's one of my favorite artists of all time. Um, and I, I think that his contribution to dance music is on is he, he is literally the monolith. He, he took hundreds of years of Baroque European music sensibility and threw it out for rhythm. And the whole world has been dancing ever since. Like, uh, so to hear that music on a dance floor and like, I've been talking to Tony about this. He, he's been friends with me throughout <laughs> this whole this process of ten, <laughs> 10 years. So like we were on the dance floor, just like locked eyes, like that's what I'm fucking talking about. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful time. Um, just to go back to something you said, Nick, about, Growing up wanting to be a punk and the idea of working with corporations. Um, something I think about quite a lot, I don't think I'm alone in that, is like the idea of selling out, certainly in the dance world over here, just seems to have gone out the window. Like, how do you feel in general about working with brands and that kind of corporate, um, whatever you want to call it, cor a corporate presence? We're, we're in not dance a business. Music. Yeah, we're just not a business. So I don't understand like why I would work with a brand. Like I would take some free booze for a party, like it, I, that kind of like traditional sellout. Like if somebody asked me to do like a skincare thing on our Instagram, that'd like, be funny. I'd do that. <laughs> it's more this like I'm. It's more the like, why are you saying yes to Boiler Room? Why is everyone saying yes to Boiler Room? They have a awful track record. Like you all, we all know. Every single person I know who's worked with Boiler Room has been treated poorly, and regrets it. So why would you say yes? And I and that's something I kind of just that that decision for Boiler Room specifically was something that I a thought process that led me to thinking about, you know, who who do I want to say yes to? And yeah, I kind of made a list before people even asked us, including Boiler Room. Um, and that that was like a way of betting on ourselves a bit. And yeah, they asked, and yeah, we said no. Like I I I just like don't. And then they ended up putting it together at the party, and it sucked. You know, like nobody had yeah. fun at it. 
And then people have to wait around for it to be dropped on, you know, all that stuff. I just, it's, it's the same thing with when I talk about press is like the only time I look up our stats is to like validify a, 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 a gut feeling like that. Um, and I think that people need to like, you know, I've been doing this thing recently, which I think people might find a bit annoying, which is when people come to me for advice, like how do I get premieres and press? I just like give them a, a five alternative ways to reach out to listeners like find a discord for this small music scene that's related to the release and then like introduce yourself to them like don't send an email to ra and chase them like find some like you know look up radio playlists in uh like fbi radio in australia where all these freaks are like on the radio and get to know them um the, yeah. the network you know because like at the end of the day ra Boiler room, they will never be part of this network ever, as they shouldn't. You know, so like, why are you constantly trying to reach out to them? They they should be coming to the underground and funding it. Yeah, they shouldn't be curating. They should. They, yeah. People people don't realize how much they're giving to these platforms. It's not just DJing for free. You're giving them your brand. Like when I was considering perhaps saying yes to them, I was like putting out together a pitch, being like, I want to be paid as much to DJ as I am to use the sorry records name because that like it hurts me inside the, <laughs> that, like we we don't do parties with people we don't fuck with who are like regular people meaning like not if they're bad people like if I just don't know you that well then like we're, we're not going to do a collaboration party so why would it be different for like a you know VC backed company that you know, is from somewhere else that is going all over America and treating people like shit in small scenes, taking advantage. People come for Boiler Room. Yeah, they have a brand name, but they're not good crowds. So like, what's the, yeah, that's kind of all I think. It's kind of like, you know, what have you done for me lately is my approach for like a lot of considerations for collapse yeah. and things like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, brands aren't really knocking, you know, it's not like we're getting offers and turning them down. Uh, it's hard to say what a good offer would be that we would want to take. Uh, but if someone was going to like an innocuous brand, we're going to give us a bunch of money to make an Instagram post. Like maybe we do it just because who knows? I don't know. But yeah, I mean, with something like Boiler Room, yeah, fuck them. But yeah. also personally, I'm like at the point in my sort of relationship to dance music where I'm like. I know that this isn't going to be the thing that I make my money off of in life. I know that I'm probably not going to be like a touring lifer DJ who's doing this as their job. Like, I know that this is like something I love and am going to be a part of for my whole life, but I don't have any bones about this being like how I'm going to make a living. And I feel like, you kind of just i don't know like you um recalibrating sort of like that relationship is like healthy for the most part and then like you can kind of like to have a, di a a different perspective on on things a bit once you make that calculation i, I think that's um, why like london and new york can be especially kind of poisoned in this way because when you're younger there's always the possibility maybe that if you, you know, go through the right hoops and meet the right people and do the right kind of stuff, then it could be like a big career. Um, when you're older and you're kind of disabused of that notion, then it all seems extremely cringe, which is basically my feeling about it after having 
given quite a lot of my time to places like Resident Advisor over the years. Um, but if you were never even in those sort of circles in the first place, you'd you know you'd you'd just think, well, that's just not relevant. You know, you could keep your mind slightly purer. But um, I feel like I'm sort of doing penance now, partly with this podcast. <laughs> just getting yeah. away. I'm not trying to be the that player whole... hater. No, of but the year yeah, me ever. and Chow have spent enough We're, of our years. Tr- in love. Trust me, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel forced into it sometimes, uh, and and it's just because, like, I don't know. I don't there's know. Yeah, there's, the there's loft... good people caught up in got it. Too. It. There's got good me. people working at RA. Like, that's not to say that like everyone who works at RA is evil. Like I don't want to name my favorite names, DJs in the world. There. Exactly. There's a lot of like great DJs who work there. A lot of lovely people working for a lot of like dumb institutions. Cause like we have to make money. So it's, it's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a shameful thing. It's just like, it is, it is what it is. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I would, I, I would more readily collaborate with um, like Pepsi or Tushy, you know, like <laughs> I, I, I don't care about, it's not that kind of thing. Um, that being said, it's like, you know, I'm not trying to be like Kurt Cobain on the cover of Rolling Stone either with like the corporate magazine still suck t-shirt. That being said, if I ever played a boiler room, I would wear a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you could just corporate streaming video still sucks. <laughs> Corporate DJ platforms still suck, but like, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. That was another thing the generation before us did. And all I kind of see that it got them is like an strange relationship with their, um, loved ones, a uh, brutal touring schedule and, uh, over a hundred thousand dollars a year. <laughs> like, it's not like you're ever really going to make that much money on these things unless you're like Ben UFO, who is somehow convinced the underground to keep booking him. I don't understand like what, wh- why we're giving money, you know, from our underground to, because it, that, at the end of the day, like, um, there's just way more talent. There's so much talent. We all know it. Like, we all know a friend who's, like, the craziest techno person, but, like, will never be able to, like, consistently party rock because they're just, like, probably a quiet person. Um, so uh, that's kind of the 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 only reason why I was thinking about saying yes to Boiler Room in the first place was because I was like, all right, a couple DJs, I think that would really, f- you know, it would help their lives. Um, but it's kind of up in the middle. I mean, they're so poorly run these days that like they don't really help people that much unless you go viral off some BS. Yeah. If at least tell boiler room to hire more diversely, like for their lineups, if you're going to do it or like at least, I don't know, there's a couple clubs in New York that operate their booking policies in a much more dangerous way. My mind, my, my focus has, has shifted from the press um, recently and kind of, you know, my hater aid is like a little bit more on like, <laughs> people booking white centric European centric techno lineups in New York, which is just like, not only is it like out of style, um, but it's completely out of line with the history of the city um, and and the dance culture here. And it's impractical, right? Like I'll I'll never be astounded by people who just book. We'll pay the extra to book that when the talents write that Mm. in their own city. And And that's like ecologically unsound. Also, it makes no sense. Yeah. People in when you have, amazing people right there it's crazy to me yeah like all due respect to ben ufo i i love hessel and i've I've enjoyed his djing like he played thursday at sustain this year it's like thursday should be locals night like half the people don't even come (laughs) why are we putting money in the pockets of people who don't understand how special these spaces are to the audience um yeah if you're listening 
We're we could have made a locals life. Like we could have made a locals life. Like we could have really changed yeah. somebody's life. Instead, totally. we just gave Ben UFO like a regular Thursday. And that's not what I want from our underground. Um, but I understand the impulse and I also understand the added value benefit for booking names like that. Um, and I bring him up specifically because I think that he gets a lot of um, you know, people think of him as like this alternative option, but he's like a <laughs> I, I'm sure his taxes do not look alt, you know, like he's he's bringing it in um pretty pretty well. So in general, uh New York's always had um really strong DJ talents that are locals. Junior Vasquez like never played outside of New York. Mancuso didn't play outside of New York until Lucky Cloud brought him over. And he was like in his late sixties. And in theory, you should be able to do that, right? Like, in a perfect world, you should just be able to... Every city should just have their local heroes who don't need to go outside that city. But I guess yeah. we're not there for whatever reason. We're not. We're Yeah, we... we, we New York is. Mm. Like, Ron... Ron has been playing to a thousand plus people every two weeks for the last ten years. But it's because he built the best career party in New York. Um Nita, uh, Nita Aviance and Will from the Carry Nation, I think, are like a prime example of like, you know, I, I would die to have their career, their organization. I mean, they they have a party once a month that's completely sold out. It's thirty dollars at the door. They have uh, essentially like their own infrastructure. They bring in their own security. They bring in. Um, they keep the whole door. They pay local. They if you if you want to know what DJs are good in like America, just look at who Carrie Nation books and who um, Honcho books. They they book like Clarissa Kimsky was the big techno closer at Sustain this year. Saw her three years ago. Honcho um, Carrie Nation was the first person to book us at Sorry Records. Period. Besides, like we threw all of our own parties until they asked us, um, and. Uh, and they just continue to do a great job. Um, I think that uh, New York is kind of at a, um, a bit of an ideological split right now between the people who have this approach and um, people who, like, you know, are dedicated to the scenes, have their own scenes, like are in it, but are also musically, you know, very UK-pilled and bringing... Yeah, like, I just... When I think about a rave, I don't think about the New York stop on the Hessel audio tour. Like it's not, I think that uh, in general, there's a lot more value um, towards organizations like Carry Nation, like Honcho and like hopefully what we're, we can achieve. And that's always been the goal. Like personal success for me, like literally does not exist in dance music, like in our capitalist society. Like you can't just have success by yourself. You're just going to end up lonely. Um, We want to ask one final question. And it could be a brief answer, but we're just going to take a harsh left turn here. Um, so I recently joined Letterboxd. Uh, I didn't actually even really know what it was until Tom explained it to me, but I believe that all of us are Letterboxd people. And I mm. wanted to know mm-hmm. um, what film I should watch next. Maybe either of you could just give us give us a top recommendation. Gremlins 2, The New Badge, I think is like <laughs> the, the defining film of not only my last That's couple of years, but like our, re- our yeah. record yeah, 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 Sincerely, yeah. like 100%. all of the artwork we've been Co-sign. doing is 1,000% <laughs> Gremlins. Like that movie, like we and Tony went and saw a double feature of both Gremlins oh. movies. 
and yeah, where, Gremlins two. What, what cinema? Yeah, that? where was That's where was great. this on? New York has some good rep cinemas like a that. Very, it? Yeah. Oh, oh. yeah. A anthology very kind film of academic archives. one, yeah, not not what you would expect. It was at yeah, Anthology Film Archives, a really like all they only do film prints. It's very like it feels like you're going to see a movie at like a school. Oh, wow. uh, I saw Buster Keaton the general bones. there. You are not getting popcorn at this oh. movie theater. They do not have concessions. Wow. It is like it feels. It was uh, what Jonas Mikas, like the experimental filmmaker. Oh, yeah. I think it was his. So I think he found he was part of the people right. that well, founded put, it. It's they very put Gremlins like, double no bill nonsense. <laughs> well, they yeah. did a whole Joe Dante retrospective because yeah, his first movie is an experimental movie that's like uh, all uh, found footage, like television ads. Like it's all about like mass mediated culture, and it's a there's the media studies shit in Gremlins too is like so rich. It's the most self referential movie, um, but also like it has like this like absolute zany quality. That like our friend Box of Box always describes like party vibes as either Muppet Zone or Gremlin Zone. Oh my God. And like, wait, wait, it, wait, it, it, wait. I'll no, be I'm honest. So thinking, what is that? What's the split here? This is Muppet Zone. This, this. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And Gremlin Zone is so like that's Nick it's waving 6 his hands his head. and the music's still evil. Oh, gr- like, oh Gremlin's Gremlin yeah, Zone yeah. is like yeah, Gremlins. or just okay. like pure. Like, like when a DJ like is in a blend and then they start bringing in like a horn or something like way <laughs> off. Like when Theo Parrish gets into like dummy zone, like when Trax literally does anything. Like, <laughs> oh my that's Gremlin This zone. is the most yeah, Martin Booty like... Spoon thing I've ever heard someone say that's not Martin <laughs> Booty Spoon. You know how Jason always goes yeah, on about it's bimbo a shame mode? I've only met him once. <laughs> Um, but the Gremlins 2 has like been a, we did a flyer for our Halloween party last year. Uh with TJ Girl and me and Tony played as Boney G and Dick Void. Uh, and and it, it's the I Love New York logo with a gremlin popping out of it. <laughs> and, and then, like, I yeah. did a bunch of other stuff with gremlins art. And then uh, fucking Minor Science blew my head open because he does Stripe & Co., which is all gremlins. Themed. Yes. Like yeah. that edits thing. Stripe is the character from yes, gremlins Yes, too. yes, yes. Uh, I messaged him and was just like, respect. Like, <laughs> we're both hitting the gremlins and the rave. But yeah, that's my movie. Yeah. Gremlins 2, five star movie, without a doubt. Um, it was honestly life. Nick had talked about it so much. And I was like, I'd never seen either the gremlins movie. And the double feature was like the best movie going experience I've had in so long. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny you should ask, cause I'm actually in Chicago. Some of my friends have like kind of like a DIY space that's member run. Um, and me and my partner are putting on like a movie, a double feature screening night. Uh, that's going to be like a monthly thing where a different person picks two movies to screen for people and I'm doing the first one. So I've been, and that's coming up. So I've been thinking a lot and watching a lot of movies, but yeah, any, a non gremlins recommendation. I just watched <laughs> this movie uh, called the straight story. That's yeah. uh, David Lynch's G rated Disney movie. Mm. I saw it when I was and a kid. And it was, so if you want something like wholesome, like I never watch wholesome movies anymore and it's so wholesome and like, but like deep and lovely and still like Lynchian mm. in a lot of ways. I've not seen it's it. about a guy who like a old guy in his 70s he who lives in the midwest he finds out that his brother who he's like estranged from had a stroke and he can't drive and he doesn't want to take a bus to go visit him he lives like a a state over he lives in i think he goes from iowa to wisconsin and he takes his lawnmower and he drives across the midwest on his lawnmower and it's based on a true story and yeah that was it was like 
I was thinking that that and Easy Rider would be a good a good I pairing. Love Easy Rider. I called it my letter my letterbox review was Difficult Rider. Um, <laughs> That's good. Yeah. That yeah. would be a good combo. Yeah. I remember a scene yeah. in that movie where he meets like a hippie girl. Yeah, and totally. She, and yeah. she leaves in the morning, but leaves him this like thing of yeah. sticks. And yeah, I watched yeah. it when I was a kid. My grandfather. We watched it because my mom is like, "This is your grandfather." Um, and uh, yeah, it's a very moving movie it's heart um, it's heartrending for sure it's a yeah good that one. scene you're talking about nick is like that's the bit that i always remember because it's like it's just the bit where lynch just can't resist being like okay we're just gonna twin peaks it out for like 10 minutes here and then we're gonna go back to the disney yeah. tale i think yeah, we might need note. to say thank you profusely thank you both of you for yeah, taking part a lot of thank fun you. that really enjoyed so it good. i feel always. motivated inspired enthused I feel like I want to go and... Watch Gremlins 2. Watch Gremlins 2, <laughs> start a label, yeah. build a sound system, yeah. open a loft party, oh. like, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, infectious. <laughs>